thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to um, attend this conversation with myself, LWC, and Professor Ebony Rowland. She is um, a nurse practitioner, and she works for one of the largest hospitals here in Central Florida, which is Orlando. And um, I'm going to allow her to introduce herself a little more, but I feel a need to have this conversation today because, as you know, COVID is rising and we have all seen a new strand of it. And I felt a need to allow the professional to come in and give us an insight on what is going on. So, without any further ado, please. Um, I'm going to open up the floor for Professor Ebony Rollins. Hello, hello everyone. Um, I hope everyone is having a good Sunday and that you can hear me well. Um, so I am a family nurse practitioner. I practice uh, at Advent Health uh, in the outpatient setting and sometimes in the inpatient setting. But actually my primary job is as an assistant professor in their uh, Advent Health University in their BSN nursing program. Um, and I think that it is very important that there's a discussion had, you know, school is getting ready to start back. And um, last week, I think across the country, the rise in pediatric cases were phenomenal. In a few states, they reported up to five and 6,000 uh, increasing cases within a week's time. And uh, Florida is no different. Lots of new pediatric cases here. And I wanna first start off by just clearly making a statement that I know that it is often very hard for us to accept that two things about a situation can be true at the same time. Because human nature, we like things to be black and white. We like things to be definite. We like assurance. Um, but in this situation, there are two things that are true right now. The first thing is, is that as people of color, this, this country has not treated us well. We have poor health equity and poor health equality. Uh, we've been taken advantage of, uh, and they have not always told us the truth. And so many of us have, you know, a lot of apprehension about trusting what is being told to us now about the vaccine and about you know, this virus. And there's no debate about that. We don't need to debate it. That is the truth. We have evidence. We have proof of that. It's been going on for decades. I mean, hence the Tuskegee experiment on down to recently, you had the people in Flint, Michigan, the government propagated them having that dirty water and was not held responsible. Over the last year, you've seen where, you know, people of color are dying of, of conditions and diseases that they just did not have to. So again, that's not debatable. That's just the truth and, and that's where it stands. So I totally understand that there is lots of apprehension around healthcare and the government in the United States. Now, the second thing that is true right now in this country is that 
people who are getting ill from COVID that are not vaccinated are becoming critically ill. That's the truth. We don't need to debate it. And, and we're not saying, nobody's saying that people who do have a vaccine can't get sick and they can't spread it to others. What we're seeing right now as of this moment is that people who are unvaccinated, who are not social distancing and who are not wearing a mask, they are needing to be hospitalized and they're becoming critically ill. So both of those things are true right now. And so when we start to talk about the children and how right now the, our governor says there's no mask mandates in school, um, masks are optional, and there's so many people that agree with that, that's what they're going to do. And when you look at things that we can do to protect our children, because it is the responsibility of us. And when I say us, I mean the community, the churches, the schools, you know, your healthcare providers. It's all of our responsibility to provide them a protection. And that is going to be difficult to do with no mask mandate. And that's, again, just the truth. And so, so I wanted to come on and just you know, give parents, if you have school age children that are going to school because they actually really need to go to school, they need the socialization, they don't need to stay home again, but we want them to be safe. The first thing we really need to do is make sure we are healthy. The parents need to really, really assure that they are at their best health state in order to provide that protection and this has nothing to do with you getting a vaccine i mean are you healthy enough to keep your children safe i'm talking about are you eating well are you sleeping well are you moving your body you know are you paying attention to your environment well enough to make sure that you are not getting infected yourself and bringing it home to your children because you're out working, you're out pumping gas, you're out getting coffee, you're out picking up the food, you know, you're buying the groceries. And so you are actually at a higher risk than your children because everyone is hypervigilant about protecting the children. We want to keep them safe. So we're not having sleepovers. We're not, you know, going to parties. You know, the children are being kept safe, but the parents are out and about because we have to be. And what we're seeing right now is that many of the children are getting ill from the parents because these rise in pediatric cases started before school started. So the summer months propagated this rise in cases. And so what they are finding is that we're not even talking about children who are vaccinated or unvaccinated because that's really not the issue. We're talking about where are they getting it from? Like, where is it coming from? And it's, you know, the parents, they're, they're out doing things that they have to do for their family and they are, you know, coming home and, you know, the children are, are getting sick that way. So 
the first thing we want to do to protect the children this school year is make sure we are at our best health state. Make sure that we are taking care of ourselves. Did you go to the doctor? Did you get your checkup? Did you, you know, we're making sure that the children have all of these things, um, but we need to really make sure that as the adults in their lives, that we need to do the same thing. That's the first thing, you know, that we really, really need to do. Um, and the second thing, which I think is equally as important, is that this school year, you know, when school starts, we, we want to make sure that we are engaging with our children in a, in a different way in terms of having conversations with them about this virus. We need to have a conversation about why we're telling them to wear their mask, why we're telling them they need to make sure they wash their hands, why they can't share snacks and they can't, you know, be sharing straws and, and sharing things. And those are all things we tell them anyway. You know, we, we teach them that at home. But now I think it's going to be really important that we have conversations that are focused towards, I don't want you to do it just because I said so. This is why I need you to really make sure you're, I know that's your friend. I know you like sharing with them, but right now to make sure that you're safe and healthy, I'm going to ask you not to do that because asking them not to do it just because it's not going to happen because we know children do what, you know, what we do and not what we say but providing them a little bit more explanation about why this is important, it's going to be pivotal. It's going to make a huge difference because guess what? They're smart. They're intelligent. They can understand. They can understand what it means when you say, you know, there is a lot of things going on in the community, in the schools. And this is why I need you to really make sure you listen to mommy and daddy and make sure that you follow these rules. Keep your mask on. I know everyone might not be wearing one, but this is why I need you to wear one. And so having an open dialogue before the children get to school and make sure you're having regular check-ins with the children, you know, making sure you're asking them how they're feeling, you know, if the mask is aggravating them, if they're tired of wearing it, if they're annoyed with it. It's, we're going to have to let them have that outlet at home so that we can make sure that we keep engaging them and still letting them know why it's important because it's not going to end. They're going to need to wear the mask, you know? And so engaging the children in what's happening right now is going to be pivotal as well. Um, I do recommend that everyone, there's a huge Florida chapter of the American Association of Pediatrics. And it's actually, they hold meetings in Orlando every few months. And this organization are your community pediatricians. They're all a part of it. I mean, all of them that I know, they're a part of this organization and they come together and give great recommendations. They put out free information all the time about 
things that they are seeing in the office, what they're seeing in the hospital, and ways that we can combat that. And I think that's going to be a great resource for this school year. Um, so I think everybody should check that out. They actually have a spot on their website that says for parents and everything underneath that section, you know, it's related to health and wellness related to pediatric because a lot of times we like to think that children are just little adults and that's just not true. That's not how we should be treating them and it's not how we should be approaching them. So they have some great resources on how to engage with your children about this virus and why, you know, they may not see their friends in school and why they can't play, why they can't have recess and, you know, why they have to sit so far apart, you know, why they're not having their normal school experience. And that's going to be something that we really need to have an open dialogue and talk about. Nurse Ebony, when we were just at the peak of back to normalcy, uh -huh then this new virus came about, Delta. What is the difference between this now new virus and the one before? What, 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 is, what is the difference there? So there's actually, so it's not necessarily a new virus. And this is something else I wanna say. The coronavirus has been around I mean, I've worked in healthcare for uh, 20 years now, and the coronavirus is not new. Um, and we have seen it in hospitals for years. It's just this different strain of it that is new, and that's what's created the Delta variant. So you know how back, mm, how many years ago, maybe five or six years, the H1N1 flu came about. That is still the flu virus. It was just a different, different more aggressive strain of the virus. And so that's what we're seeing with this Delta variant. It's a different way that the virus uh, presents itself. And it's not necessarily new. It's just actually more aggressive. It can make you more ill and it can make you sicker faster is what we're seeing. Okay. So you to elaborate on that a little bit because we have heard a lot where when you, you, you just mentioned sicker faster, what is the average day now compared to, I think when it first started, it's like about 10 or seven days. Is it like right. four or three days now? What is faster? So you can actually see symptoms with this Delta variant within 24 to 48 hours. It comes on quicker. I mean, you can wake up in the morning and feel okay. And then you progress throughout the day and you start to feel mild, mild symptoms, which with the previous variant, it took you about three to four days to feel those mild, mild symptoms. But right now you can, you know, have start the symptoms within the first day of being in contact. And then by the second or third day, you're very sick. Wow. So you cut the time by 
probably three or four days, depending on the person, their comorbidities, you know, their lifestyle and things of that nature. Now, people who are smokers and that have things like heart disease and diabetes and, you know, chronic diseases, they are, you know, seeing symptoms in six to 12 hours. They're feeling really bad. Okay. Okay. I, um, does anyone have any questions so far for Nurse Ebony? So, um, she said uh, quicker, faster. Um, what, are, what are really the symptoms? Yes. What are, yeah, I need to know the symptoms. Kaya are saying it's quicker, faster. So what are the symptoms? So the symptoms of this variant, they are still the headache, loss of taste or smell. Uh, the thing that's actually most, I think, potent with it, what we've seen is that it brings on a massive amount of fatigue that we did not see in the beginning. Um, so having the just like feeling like you can't get out of bed, like you can't get up, like you can't, you know, get your day started. And you're literally, I've had a patient explain it to me as if his limbs were heavy. Like he felt very weighed down by just the weight of his body. And he just could not, you know, continue to progress throughout the day. Um, I think one of the, um, other symptoms that is really potent um, is for adults, a lot of them are really complaining about a dry, dry cough. And this is also something that was not seen all the time uh, when the pandemic first started. That cough was not as prominent as it was um, with some people who have uh, contracted this Delta variant. I received a question and it read something about higher viral load. What is higher viral load? So viral loads in general um, speak to the amount of let's see how I can explain it. So it's just like a viral load you would detect with any virus, which is the HIV virus, you know, how do we detect that and how do we pick it up? So what that means is when the person goes in and they draw their serology to check their blood for the virus, their numbers are higher. It's kind of like what the T cell count is to a person that has HIV. We like to see that T cell count almost undetectable. And that means that they're not replicating the virus as fast. So in this case, that virology means that when they draw the blood, they look at everything. The viral load is high, which means that the virus is replicating mm. inside of the patient. And would that mean that that person who have a high viral load likely to transport that viral that virus quicker or someone can catch it from them quicker because of their load being so high i don't know but i'm just asking there is that yes they're they're considered to be a little bit more contagious absolutely mm -hmm. 
Okay. Because it would be the same with the flu virus or again, the HIV virus. If the numbers are high, that means your immune system has not yet been able to attach to the virus and you know disseminated enough so that it's not contagious. I mean, it's the same thing. You can actually correlate it to, let's say a cold sore because that's the HSV virus, right? The herpes simplex virus. Yes. When someone has a cold sore, their, their viral load is very high when you can see the cold sore, right? When they, the cold sore disseminates and it goes away, their mm -hmm. viral load has also disseminated and gone down and they're not likely to transmit that herpes simplex virus. It's the same concept. Got it. Yes. Any question, guys? Okay, let me see if I got another question in here. At this point, um, Nurse Ebony, what would you, I know you did give a lot of tips. You talked about, um, as parents, how we have to protect ourselves, you know, because we are the ones who are out and about and I can tell you, I never even thought about it in that sense that we are the ones who are probably making the children sick because we keep we are keeping them at home, right? They're not in school and minimizing their contact with their friends um, during the day, but therefore we are the ones being out there. I can tell you that I never thought about it in that sense. And so you did leave some tips. I like that, protect yourself and make sure that, you know, you are doing what you need for your home and yourself to avoid having, um, giving it to the children. What, in that sense, us going back to work, going out every day, what are some of the routine things you would say to ensure and to make sure that we are doing? Yes. Um, and again, I'll be completely transparent and honest. I am actually, I practice as a family nurse practitioner, but I am not a huge fan of Western medicine. Um, I do my best to not prescribe drugs to my patients at all costs. And so some of the things that we can do for ourselves that have nothing to do with taking medication or anything of that nature Number one, I always find some local honey. Use that every single day. It should be where you actually live at because that's a huge immune system booster. And that's safe if your children don't have an allergy or you don't have an allergy, you do that. Um, I also, I'm actually back to work myself and out in the community. And I have had to transition some of my own habits uh, to keep myself safe. Case in point, I don't get out and go buy coffee or things at a gas station. I only get gas from a gas station. I don't go in. I'm not touching the door handles. I'm not at the coffee station. I'm not at the register. And I mean, those are things that you really don't really think about 
because that's your day-to-day you know we like routines we like things that you know are familiar and so just even transitioning some of those things i do my best to do curbside pickup when i go get food i don't go into restaurants i don't um i try to make sure i'm not just in environments where there's lots of people or a lot of people have been there throughout the day The other thing is that, you know, I have some clear boundaries with my coworkers. Like, you know, everybody, some people are excited to be back to work because work is where they get their socialization, just like the children, right? But I'm very clear. I don't eat in the break room with my coworkers. Like, I just don't. And because I have to think about what I'm doing all day translates to my home in the evening. And so... I just have to be hyper vigilant while I'm out because I have to be, you know, to keep myself safe so that I'm not bringing things back in. And another thing as parents, I mean, and we forego this because we don't think about it as much as we should. And I'm saying we because I'm the same way. Um, When we talk about sleep deprivation, when we hear sleep deprivation, it just sounds like we don't get enough sleep. But the medical term is actually sleep debt. Sleep debt, right? And any other kind of debt that you have in your life, you know that that's negative. You you know that your credit card debt is not healthy. You know that, you know, any other debt in your life is unhealthy. But sleep debt is not something that we consider. And... The, the medical definition of sleep debt is only two consecutive nights, two consecutive nights of less than seven hours of sleep. That's it. After that, you're in sleep debt. And that does not give your organs enough time to regenerate. That does not give your immune system enough time to boost itself because it will do it on its own. It really doesn't need a lot of help. But if you're not sleeping well, your liver is not resting, your kidneys are not resting, nothing is getting enough time to rejuvenate. Sleep debt is the most prominent immune system depressant that there is. We have to get some sleep. That is some good nugget you just dropped there. Wow. Wow. Love it. Any questions, ladies? If you don't want to voice your question and you do have a question, go ahead and put it in the chat and you can send it directly to me and I will go ahead and read it off, okay? While I wait for additional questions, I do have a question, um, Nurse Ebony. How effective is wearing masks for kids or kids wearing masks? My daughter started school and Um, had a bug fever uh the first weekend back. Yes. Do you think a shield is also necessary for kids? Should we amplify protection for kids? What about outdoor events or gathering, public park, farmer's market, etc.? So what we know is that the the mask with the children especially those because you know there's children that cannot be vaccinated they're not eligible for a vaccine or they're not healthy enough for a vaccine i definitely believe that the masks are 
the correct mask, not ones that are too big for them. They shouldn't be wearing adult size masks. We should try to get them the smaller ones as much as possible um, so that it can fit properly and they wear it properly. I think the mask, you know, they have proven to be effective. Face shields are effective for children, but they're not going to wear them very long. They're not because they're aggravating, they're uncomfortable for them, and we tend to see them just flip them up as much as they can. You know, they hold them up or they pull them down. And so the mask is a little bit more stationary. They feel a little bit more freedom with the mask. Now the face shield will definitely provide some extra protection. Um, and again, as much as possible, you wanna decrease your child's screen time and get them outside. They just may not be able to play outside with their friends. They still need to be social distancing, but bike riding is something that really should be encouraged right now because they can ride their bike down the street with their friend. They're not touching each other. They're still able to get some activity and they're still engaging with their friend a little bit, right? So you wanna just try to look for alternative activities. Um, in terms of social gatherings, um, if you have family events and things of that nature that you're attending, you still need to wear your mask. You know, you still need to wash your hands, use your hand sanitizers. But in terms of huge, large events, I personally or professionally just don't recommend it. Um, outside is the best place for us to be. This, this, you know, being inside that was promoted during the pandemic was not necessarily the best thing. We should have been outside getting some sun. We should have been walking. We should have been taking in the fresh air. We should have been practicing grounding ourselves, which is literally going outside with no shoe on, touching the earth. Um, because those are healing things. Those are things that keep us healthy. There are things that are, are available to all of us. And this past year during the pandemic, we disregarded those things. And now we know that we need them more than ever. We stayed inside and ate and got fat. Um, yeah, that's what we did. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Nurse Ebony, I'm going to ask you a question specifically to what you are seeing being on the front line. Um, and I don't want to scare anyone, but um, there have been stories where um, people who actually got the vaccination has been known to still able to catch COVID, right? Or been um, understood that they have been diagnosed with COVID. Is that a true statement? Are you seeing a lot of those or that's just air talk? No, that's very true. That's extremely true. That is extremely true. So the reason why that's happening is that, first of all, I, I don't agree with us, you know, shaming people who decided not to get a vaccine and then praising people who did get a vaccine. We shouldn't be doing that. That's not helpful because the people who got a vaccine stopped wearing their masks and they stopped social distancing because they felt like the vaccine was all they needed to protect themselves. And that was not true. And now they know it because they're still getting sick. And here is an even bigger issue is that 
because they are vaccinated, they're not having any symptoms. So they don't even know that they're ill. And so now they've come in contact with someone who is not vaccinated and that person is now sick. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, ma'am. So that's very true. People who are vaccinated are still getting sick. They are just getting milder cases of the virus. A lot of them are not needing to be hospitalized. They're staying home and they're self-quarantining for 10 to 14 days. And then when they get another test, it's negative. But that's very true. We're seeing probably, I would say in a large uh, hospital downtown, two, 300 cases a day where people are vaccinated, but they still are positive. Wow. Very, very common and very likely. But again, people got vaccinated and stopped social distancing. They let their guard down. They stopped, you know, wearing their mask and we should not have done that. Okay. Wow. I think I have another question and give me a chance. I will read it. You mentioned that the unvaccinated are the ones who are getting the sickest. Mm -hmm. Do you see a comorbidity? If yes, which one? So it's not necessarily that they have a common comorbidity in general for the people who are unvaccinated. What they have in common is that they're not vaccinated. Now, even the vaccinated people that have comorbidities are still getting very sick. But a lot of times it's due to that comorbidity. But for the unvaccinated people, they don't have any, some of them have no comorbidities. We, we have, I mean, two weeks ago when I was in the hospital, you know, patients that had no comorbidities, they were young people. They were just unvaccinated, that was it. But they were very ill. So the comorbidity is, you know, it hasn't really played a super huge role in the unvaccinated individuals. I think it will soon okay. when we get into the fall and then the weather changes and people, you know, start to become ill. Um, I think we may see a difference then, but right now we're not. Okay. Let's see. Okay, I have another question came up. How, hold on, I gotta mute somebody. Okay, let's go. How often should we take our children who are in school on a regular basis to get tested for COVID? Is being tested too often or bad for kids? Um, so I actually, don't recommend uh, frequent testing for children. Number one, it's traumatic for them. It's very difficult. Uh, and the other thing is that unless the child is sick or they're not feeling bad, they're having symptoms, or you feel like you have been exposed some kind of way, um, I don't recommend having them frequently tested like once a week or once every two weeks or something like that. I do not recommend that um, because it's going to create a little bit of fear 
in the children and we don't want to do that what we want to do is instead of creating an environment of you know the frequent testing let's kind of shift that to frequent education and checking in with the children making sure they're doing all the things we ask them to do and try to trust that that's going to you know keep them safe by all means if your child is ill and they're having some symptoms or you yourself believe that you have come in contact with somebody that is positive you should definitely go get them tested absolutely and I do recommend making sure you're checking in with your pediatrician or your healthcare provider. You can get a telehealth visit. They, most of them, I mean, that I work with and that I experience, they are happy to sit down and have a conversation over telehealth about your concerns so that they can give you, based on your child's health history and all of those things, some specific recommendations. And I recommend that you definitely take advantage of that. Have another question. Other than the under 12 year olds, is there any else who should not be vaccinated? Not at this time. We're not saying, you know, that, you know, anybody over that age should stay away from the vaccine. Outside of people that have immunosuppressive disorders that it's not recommended for right now, people who are undergoing chemo and radiation and things of that nature. And even at this point, I know some oncologists that are still giving those vaccines in their office in a controlled environment. We don't recommend that people who have, you know, uh, immunosuppressed systems get vaccinated at a community vaccination event. Mm -hmm. You should be having that done in the doctor's office in a controlled environment and be monitored for a certain amount of time for any side effects that mm -hmm. you may have. That's good to know. That's definitely great information right there. Um, Okay, guys, I promise I was only going to keep you guys for about half an hour. So I'm going to go again and open the floor for any other questions. If I don't have any other question, I'm going to let Professor Ebony wrap it up with any uh, additional advice or comments you would like to leave with us today. And we will close out. So any other questions, go ahead. Um, one more. Um, I know someone who work at a nursing home facility and they test the workers like two times for the week and it was negative. But then going at a site where they test for COVID, it was positive. What could what what was the reason for that? Well, you, you see that happening frequently when you have um, long-term care facilities are using the rapid test, a specific type of test. Other facilities are likely using a PCR test. Those are two different tests. Now, when you think about it, it's the same way you a woman can take a pregnancy test. She takes one, it's negative. She takes another one, it's positive. She takes a third one and that one is negative again, right? It's, the, it's about detection. Is the test 
you know, has a good probability of detection. And so you will see that quite frequently in places like long-term care facilities, they have to frequently test. They have to frequently make sure and monitor that their employees, you know, are not infected. Now, I don't know the efficacy of how that testing is being done because that could also be the problem. It could be mishandling of the specimen. It could be that uh, because those tests, you really have to use them precisely. If you go outside of the timing window that is there, the test is no good. If you're not using the device uh, that the uh, test is supposed to be put in correctly, the test is no good. You will get a false positive or a false negative. So it could be equipment failure, equipment malfunction. It could be operator error because humans are using the machine. So there are several reasons why you get someone that gets a, a negative test here and then they get a positive test there. And when that happens, I always, always warn people and advise them, you really need to, you know, make sure that you feel good about the test that you got. If you feel like that test was not done properly or something was awry with it, you absolutely have the responsibility to go get another test. Absolutely. Okay. Well, guys, if there are no additional questions, um, Professor Ebony, go ahead and wrap it up. And with any advice, any comments, any last um, additional information you would like to leave with us today? Um, I just want to, you know, say thank you all for uh, joining today. And the second thing is, is that I am a huge person of faith. And um, I believe that if we, you know, work together and, and do our part to keep our children safe and keep our parents and communities safe, that we can get past this, but we will have to do some work. It's going to take some work and responsibility um, on our part. We should not be leaving it up to, you know, the government or healthcare officials or anyone. We have to take personal ownership and responsibility for our health and wellness. And I believe that we're all equipped to do that. We really are. We can keep ourselves and our children and our homes safe and healthy. And I just uh, hope and pray that everyone is able to do that in the upcoming months. Awesome, great. Professor Ebony, I would like to tell you again, thank you for the invite and thank you for coming on. I truly appreciate it. And I do appreciate all the nuggets you left with us today. Thank you so much. Guys, thank you guys for being here. And I hope that you guys received the information that um, Professor Ebony left with us today. Thank you, stay safe, until next time. Bye-bye, you guys have a good day. <laughs>